Open your Bibles up, if you would, to John chapter 5. It's been great to be here with you this week and uh, weekend, and uh, it's always a pleasure to be back here, and I always have to twist and pull Jeff's arm so he'll have me back, but you know, it's, it's good to be here and be around my friend and, and share the word with you. Um, I want you to mark two passages of scripture this morning. I want you to mark, if you would please, uh, our passage, uh, which is in John chapter 5. And we're really going to look at the first 15 verses of that chapter, focusing in on a certain character in that passage. And uh, I want you also to mark Second uh, Peter chapter 2. And I want to look at just a survey, really, of that chapter, which obviously is tied to chapter 1 and 3. And so it's difficult to kind of pick out just a section. But I want to look at a quote Peter gives us there. And uh, chapter 5, where really this is a two-part message, and uh, I'm giving you the second half of it, so I'm going to give you a little brief uh, update on the passage. Uh, Jesus has um, left uh, Jerusalem, and of course we've been looking at this all week, end, so you'll be familiar with this. He leaves Jerusalem, uh, the Passover feast has ended, the conversations there that has taken place, Nicodemus, uh, John's disciples, all of that that took place there is over. Uh, begin to get spied on, uh, kind of uh, um, tracked down and investigated and by uh, the leaders of Israel. So he leaves and uh, is on his way to Galilee and stops for a time, a couple days, to minister in Samaria, which is a wonderful ministry. He looked at a little bit of that last night. And uh, finds his way back to Galilee. And there's this air of disappointment there that takes place. Well, he finishes his, uh, his time there, and there's another feast that takes place. It's the Feast of the Jews, which there were three main feasts. If you were a Jewish male, you had to attend. Uh, this was one of them. So uh, he is back in the temple area. And there is a scene, that, there is a scene here that, uh, that really uh, is captivating uh, for, I believe, the Christian. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Uh, again, at the end of verse... Uh, at, the end of this, at the end of this passage, it's really significant... Uh, you see there is a man that his life is touched and, and, and Jesus invades his life. He deals with him. And then we get a look at him at the end of it, at the end of the whole passage, and kind of see where he's come through all of this. Uh, sometimes, as, I, as we've noted this weekend, that John will label certain passages signs, which means they're significant. Which what he'll do is, is he'll take he'll take a passage of scripture and he'll he'll stick in certain props and he'll he'll talk about certain things and there's certain attributes of the story that really kind of help us understand the meaning behind it and I really believe this is really neat because what has taken place at the end of John chapter four uh, especially when he gets into Galilee is a healing ministry of Jesus Are you with me on this there is a healing ministry of Jesus that has taken place here. Jesus goes in uh, to Galilee, yet this royal official shows up from Capernaum. Uh, he, he's, he's standing in Jesus' path. It's in the original language, is really strong on this. He, he won't let Jesus get away. He's continually begging him, hey, come heal my boy. Come heal my kid. And Jesus, of course, speaks the word. And all the way across the country, uh, this guy's son is healed. And uh, you leave that scene. You come into the temple scene, which is John chapter 5. He's back in the temple, the Feast of the Jews. And there's another healing ministry that takes place, which is really crucial. But what's going on here, and I think this is really neat, in the middle of Jesus' healing ministry, he wants to focus us in on something that's beyond the healing. In other words, what's really significant here in John chapter 5 is not the healing. 
See, it's not what's absolutely most important for the reader to take away. Um, that's kind of difficult, but once you begin to get into the passage, it makes sense. For instance, uh, let, let's walk through the passage really quickly before, and we'll kind of do it as I read it, uh, before we get into it. It says, some, verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Uh, you can read about this back in... Uh, um, Nehemiah and Ezra. Uh, right before that, we understand that uh, uh, the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C., if you're familiar with the Old Testament story, which is really incredible. Uh, Assyrians come in, Babylonians come in, and they destroy the temple. Now, actually, they came in three, time with th- uh, three times with three different captivities, hauling people off. Daniel was a part of that group. Uh, hauls them off, destroys the temple finally in 586. And then sometime later, they're sent back to rebuild the temple, and that process takes place. And you can really read about the, the, the construction of certain aspects of these gates that surrounded the temple. There's all these different gates. One of them was the Sheep Gate. So we're talking, the scene is taking place there. Any Jewish citizen or anyone who's familiar with the Jews would understand this. There's five covered colonnades. This is the Sheep Gate. Um, right inside the Sheep Gate, or right near, right near there, was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. It's really beautiful. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. Gives you some examples of that. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there, get this, had been there for 38 years. It's a long time. Been there for 38 years. Okay? Uh, Now, you might ask, why in the world is he there? And he's going to address this later on. Jesus comes in, and it says in verse uh, 6, When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, walks up to him and says, Do you want to get well? We're going to talk about that. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus says, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And once the man was cured, picked up his mat and walked. What takes place is what's going on here is there was a great number of paralyzed, disabled people who had these infirmities of the body. And uh, they they were waiting. They were dedicated. This fellow here, get this now, 38 years he's been here beside this pool. And there was a tradition that developed. I can't really find it in the word. But there was a tradition that was developed or that it came about that what would take place at periods of time or points of time would be an angel of the Lord would come down. He would descend and he would make his way into the water. You couldn't see him, but you could see the effects of the water. It would begin to be stirred. And the tradition was, first guy into the pool was healed. Of course, this guy's been on the short end of the stick for 38 years. Yeah, he needs to get quicker or something. But, uh, you know, 38 years, he's been, in the, he'd been there at this pool waiting to be healed. Hey, it's never worked out. It's never taken place. 38 years he's been here. So Jesus comes up to him. He sees him sitting there, asks a really prime question, which we're going to look at in a minute. And he says, you want to get healed? And the guy starts saying, hey, try to get into the pool. But every time someone rushes down, you know how rude people are. They rush right down ahead of me. And I, hey, they make it in before I get. Would you mind probably insinuating, just stick around, help me into the pool? Like just stick around and help me in the pool. And of course, Jesus gives him three imperatives. In original language, that's a command. It's, uh, it's forceful. It's, there's no question. He's telling him. He gives him three, three commands, three imperatives. He says, get up, take your mat, head down the road, walk. And immediately, the guy's healed. Well, what takes place is, uh, uh, <laughs> which sometimes I see the word a little bit humorous. I think you should too. 
This guy, first day he's walked, probably all his life, 38 years, he's familiar, never walked before, uh, grabs his mat. Can you imagine what that would be like? He's running around. He's skipping across the place. Jesus says, hey, forgot your mat. Guy runs back here, grabs his mat. He's running outside of the temple, man. It's the first time he's ever, ever walked. And who does he get busted by? The temple police. Yeah. First time he's ever, first time he's ever walked and he's in trouble. And look, look what happens at the end of verse uh, 9. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man, the Jews in the Gospel of John are the leadership of Israel. The Jews said to the man, uh, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, please hear this. So they asked him, who is the fellow who told you to pick your mat and walk? Pick it up and walk. And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped. That's his initiative. Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Really struggled with this. Again, I'm not going to give constructive criticism to Jesus. That's never good. Uh, But see, in my opinion, he blew a really good opportunity for ministry here. Blew a big opportunity. I mean, he lays his hands on He walks up, enters this guy's life, sees his condition and says, Hey, man, you want to get well? Just wonder. Guy starts to go on about, yeah, but no one helps me in the pool. And they rush down ahead of me. You know how it is. People are so rude nowadays. You know, would you stick around and help me get in the pool and, I, and then I'll be healed? Jesus says, listen, get up, take your mat and get out of here. And immediately, the life speaking of Jesus speaks the power of his word right in the middle of this guy's life. And he's healed. His legs are strong. He stands up. All the things that were unmade now are made. All the things that are weakened are now strong. This guy takes off. He's running across the temple, gets busted. In the midst of this hysteria, Jesus says nothing about the gospel. He doesn't say, hey, uh, by the way, I'm the Messiah. I'm the fulfillment. Hey, I, hey, I want you to believe in me. Hey, uh, hey, the, the, hey uh, this is the deal. See, he, there's, there's no evangelism push here whatsoever. See, there's no healing ministry here. Does that make sense? There's none of that in this passage. In fact, the guys, uh, the guys who get getting the Jews, say, hey, who, told, who did this? He says, I don't know. I have no idea. That beats me. See, there's no, there's no ministry here. There's no gospel presentation. There's no, hey, come back here, sit down, let me tell you. Let me tell you, you can be saved. There's none of that here. Isn't that kind of interesting? See, I figured there'd be something like that. But you understand the focus of this passage is not on the healing. The focus of this passage is not on, uh, is not a a focus on uh, that God moves in my life and he heals a physical infirmity. In fact, the deal is, and I really want you to hear this, what happens is, verse 14, later... Sometime later, probably during that week, maybe not. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you're well again. Uh, Bad translation. Uh, Idea, carried along idea there is that, see, you're still well. You're not well again. See, you're still well. You're you're still healed. You're still made well. See, you're well again. You're still well. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The idea of sin there is missing the mark. You're missing it. You're falling short. You're not catching on. You're not pulling it off. Stop it. See, stop missing it. See, stop falling into the same stuff you've always fallen into. I'm telling you, hey, stop it. Or something worse is going to happen to you. And what happens? What does the man do? He sells Jesus out. Look at verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. <laughs> hey, found the guy. Go get him. 
Get off my back. See the whole Matt thing? I was innocent after all. It's Jesus. Sells out Jesus. And the, and the result of that, as you begin to move through chapter 15, is persecution of Jesus intensifies. It's not on the healing. This guy did not become a Christian through this. He did not become a believer. Would you believe me if I told you that, you know, God can do a miracle so radical in someone's life that there's no other excuse for it except for God moving and they still won't become believers? Um, something bigger at stake here. Two-part message. First part of this message, which I won't go all the way through, obviously, is the focus of this passage is on the speaking of God. Uh, there is something absolutely significant. Jesus stands in the middle of this situation. He speaks the word. This man is healed. Of course, it's been going on through this book so far. We looked at it uh, last night, and Jesus at the Samaritan uh, in, in the town of Samaria, and he's speaking. And, and, of course, it says, I'll just give you a quick one here. It says, uh, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me, told me, spoke to me, told me everything I ever did. So the Samaritans came. They urged him to stay two days. Verse 41, because of his words, many more became believers, not because of healings. There's something about the spoken word. Are you with me? There's something about the spoken word of Jesus. Uh, you, of course, you go on, and uh, as you begin to move into the royal officials deal, uh, it says at the end of verse 50, the man took Jesus at his word. Happens again. See, the whole thing is surrounded by Jesus speaking, which really makes sense. You understand that's how God uh, relates to created things. Did a really big study uh, in the Gospel of John and in, over in the New Testament about how God relates to people. You understand he relates to created things through his spoken word. He created the world. He spoke. It took place. Uh, Jesus is the word became flesh. He's the speaking of God. You look in the book of Ephesians, and if you go through that whole deal, the whole focus of the book of Ephesians is that we're found in Christ. And when we're found in Christ, we are blessed by God. Do you know what the word blessed means? It's a compound word. It has two words in it. And it literally means speaking and good things. To be blessed means God is speaking good things about you. Do you know that God doesn't rip on you? God does, in the name of Jesus, God does not rip on you. God doesn't sit up there and say, Gabe, man, I'm tired of that guy. <laughs> hey, Mike, come over here. Check this out. Michael and Gabriel. Okay. Anyway. Hey, man, look, look at this guy. He's such a loser. How many times do I have to tell you? See, he doesn't say that stuff. He doesn't. That's not biblical. That God is, if you are found in Christ, God is speaking good things about you. And they come to fruition. See, words are significant. Do you understand the one who speaks bad about you, we call him the accuser? That's Satan. See, every time you are, every time you feel condemnation, not guilt, not conviction, but every time you feel condemnation, see, that's not Jesus. It's not Jesus, it's the enemy. He's got a speaking good things about you. In the Gospel of John, this is huge. Jesus tells them at the end of John chapter 12, and I know you want to go and read this. He says at the end of John chapter 12, he goes, the words that I speak are going to condemn you on the last day. The idea is that they hang around. Wouldn't it be something if, and I've sensed this, well, let me just give you an illustration. Have you ever been into a home, into a situation, into a church, where it just seems there's negativity? You know that God inhabits the praise of his people. Words, they're significant. They change the atmosphere. There's something spiritual. You may think, well, hey, say something under your breath. They didn't hear me. Well, it affects. 
See, there's something really significant about words in uh, their culture, which we should, you know, pay attention to. Uh, that's what the passage is focused on. It's the movement of God. It's the involvement of Jesus' life. He comes in and he speaks. And the big issue is not what I can get from God. The big issue is not fix my body. The big issue is speak. Just come and speak in my life. Hey, just come and speak right in the middle of this circumstance. Hey, man, I'm going to crank the radio in my car. No matter what's going on in my life, fill, the, fill my vehicle with praise and adoration and glorification of God. And I, I don't let anything come in my home. I don't let anything come in my car. It's not glorified Jesus. And I live in the haze and the atmosphere of praise. And he's constantly speaking his blessings, which are taking place in my life. That's how God relates to us. The biggest deal in our life as Christians on Sunday morning is not how well he preaches, not how well he sings. It's on God speak to me. You've you got to get that. See, that, that's the point here. Why did I come in this morning? He nails it. He always nails it. See, the idea is that when I come on Sunday morning, he speak to me. The reason I get in the Bible is speak to me. See, speak. Just speak your word because his words are life. They carry life. That's the idea. So that's sermon number one. Kind of got a bonus this morning. Uh, at, at the end of this, there's a, some characters in this story that are really significant. Uh, I really got carried away with this guy, this man. You know why? Reminds me of me. Reminds me of me. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get Jesus as a young man. I didn't catch on. And I, I taught myself uh, ways to be fulfilled. Taught myself ways to be happy. I taught my ways, uh, myself ways of controlling my surroundings, uh, how to deal with finances. I created patterns in my life. That's what's so dangerous about teenagers, man. They're, they're training themselves. That's why it's so hard to reach adults who have lived their whole lives. They just, they've learned. They've learned how to do things. And one of the greatest struggles in my life is that I, in, in times of pressure and in times of strain, I love Jesus. I'm right with Him. But I, at times of, of, of uh, pointed times in my life of, of distress or, or what have you, I seem to want, there's something that is, I've trained myself, there's something about Jeremiah, flesh, I, yeah, it's difficult, that I reach back for those things. Uh, do I want to do drugs anymore? No but I'm looking for that fulfillment that I once found when I don't have it. Do I want to live in sexual immorality anymore? No, but I reach back for fulfillment. See, when I'm not being fulfilled here in the way God has is, 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 is made me uh, fulfilled, and, and of course he's teaching me the way to be fulfilled. See, the natural way for me, the self, the, the, just the, the, the needs that are this, our flesh and our drives and those, see, I naturally want to reach back. Does that make sense? Am I with you? Say, I want to be fulfilled. And, I, and it's like, I just want to reach back. Once you look at this man, it's really significant. Uh, this guy, this man, 38 years he has, he has been here. You understand? He, 38, that's a lifetime, folks. See, he's lived here. He's, he's learned how to survive here. He's, 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 got, he's learned how to make money here. You understand what I'm saying? He's learned how to make money. He's learned how to eat. He's learned how to scratch his nose. He's, he's learned how to move when he's uncomfortable. He's learned how to, to shoo the dogs away. He's learned how to fight for his own position. He's learned to survive here. He's taught himself. 38 years. It's a lot of learning. You understand? Jesus walks in the middle of this situation. He walks in the middle of this scene, speaks his word, and this guy is healed. 
freed. He stands up. He probably runs. Can't believe it. All of his dreams, the dedication of 38 years, has finally paid off. God moves in his life and he's healed, which is fabulous. He's running outside of the temple. He's never ran before. He's feeling the wind on his face. Wow, it's great. He's running outside. He gets stopped by the police and he's putting up with them for a few minutes. But after that, he kind of drops his mat, says, you can have the thing anyway. And he makes his way outside of the temple and it's phenomenal. But the most amazing thing happens. Jesus finds him later in the temple. Comes back in. Guess where this guy is? Same thing. He's back in the same place he's always been. Now, Jesus looks at him and says, you're still well. You're well. I have set you free. You are not, hey, you're not crippled, man. You're not paralyzed. You're not an invalid any longer. But he is back where things make sense. Please hear this. He's back where he always got fulfillment. He's back to the place that he knows. He's, he has come back to the situation, to the circumstances in which he's always lived. He's come back with the same attitude. And Jesus looks at him and says, Stop sinning. You're missing it. Stop living there. See, stop coming back to the same way that you've always functioned, the same attitudes that you've always had, the same, the same ways you've always dealt with things, or something worse is going to happen to you. Uh, there's a uh, passage in the New Testament that deals with this. And actually, uh, they get it from a passage in the Old Testament. And it's a proverb. Proverbs 26.11. And uh, it says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to his folly. Dog vomit. What a name for a sermon. This man returned, man. Turned back to where everything makes sense. He goes out into a world where he has to live in a radically different way. And again, I don't know, uh, I don't know where, where you grew up or some of the things that you grew up in. Uh, but man, that makes sense to me. Uh, I see this. I see this all the time. See, this guy makes sense to our generation. Uh, I see a guy come in. Uh, God moves on his life. Uh, he gets saved. God does something in him radically. Uh, he comes down to the altar. And, of course, uh, God moves in his life, and he stands up, and, and he says, I'm different. Wow. And he was a drug addict. Uh, I was a drug addict. Okay? I was a drug addict. God relieved me from that. He saved me from that. He loose. I mean, I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus, took away the bondages of my life. Stay awake. You with me? He took away the bondages in my life that held me. Took them away. Which is wonderful. But, see, that's how I always had fun. See, Friday night came around, and they said, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I can't go get drunk. No drugs. No parties. <sighs> what, what do I do? I'll go to church. No one's there. Oh, no. I guess I'm staying home. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what to do. Could you imagine this guy? I mean, put that in perspective. He's healed. He runs outside and goes, yes. I guess I'll go back in. <laughs> well, my buddies are in there. My friends are in there. Hey, what's going on, man? Yeah, it's me. Oh, you can't see? Okay, yeah, it is me. Tell him it's me. And, and he goes in, and that, that's where he's comfortable. That's got to make sense. That's what he knows, man. See, I lived there. Uh, yeah, he met needs in my life. But see, now I, and, and he, he saved me. He released me from that stuff. But I still had needs, you understand. 
Uh, it's, it's the guy who is overcome with pornography and lust. That's tragic because it's something different than just looking at bad pictures. This guy has a dream world, okay? Whether it began when he was a kid, whether it began in college, whether it began out of a bad relationship and a, just a relationship that God has not intended in his, in, his, in his marriage. For some reason, this guy is not having his needs met. Maybe they're godly needs, maybe they're self-centered needs, whatever. He, he's not fulfilled the way he wants to be fulfilled. So he retreats to this dream world. If anybody's ever been caught in this, this is going to make a lot of sense to you. He reverts to this dream world where this person will do whatever he wants. He's, he's most important. Everything is perfect. There's no flaws. There's no interruptions. See, it, it's a world where everything is absolutely perfect. There's nothing that goes wrong. I mean, it's, it's, it, see, he retreats there. His needs are met. And so every time, every time he feels rejection, every time he has a need, does that make sense? And he chooses dream world over reality. So he'll spend six, seven hours a night at a computer. He has no life. He has no entertainment. He has no fun. Please, please don't sleep on me. This is huge. This happens all, you would, you'd be shocked and startled by the number of men in church who are involved in pornography. You'd be blown away. This is reality. Even in pastors' lives. This is reality. All the time. I'm, I'm hearing all the time youth pastors getting fired. Why? Pornography. Live in a dream world, man. Fantasy. It doesn't exist. And what happens is when a guy is released from that kind of thing, he's set free in the bondage. I mean, that stuff has a grip. It's a grips on you, man. You understand? It grips on you. You're free. But the moment you've been set free, hey, there's no more chains, man. God has moved in your life. But the moment, the first time, I'm telling you, the first time that you feel those needs come back, where's the first place you're going to look? Most of the time you're too pious and you're too godly to go get on the internet. You'll just be in here. That's what the Pharisees did. Create an own mental dream world. Maybe it's maybe you maybe you do your wife that way. You have a dream world where you revert to where she does all the things you wanted her to do. She's the perfect wife. She looks the way you want her to. You refuse to accept reality and the, and the wife that God has given you. And you refuse to accept your, the needs that God wants to meet through this woman. And you choose to have a whole dream world. Is that either really at home or you're confused. Does that make sense? I lived there for a time when I did not know Jesus. A lot of people live there. That's this guy. God moves in his life and he's set free. And he returns to his vomit. He, re he returns to that man. He returns to the same thing he was set free from. Why? Because he doesn't know anything else. He returns. It's familiar, you understand? It's easy. It's quick. It's, it, it's the way. Uh, huge. Uh, you have uh, a woman who gets her needs met by how guys look at her. Get her, get her self-esteem by how she's treated, how other... Dream world, man. Refuses to see herself the way that God has made her, that she's beautifully and wonderfully made. And she gets her fulfillment by... God saves her. God, God, God gets a hold of her life. God releases her. He, he, he enters an intimacy with her. 
But the moment she feels ugly, the moment she feels used, the moment she feels not important, guess where she reverts to? Finances. This is a big one in my life. Ministry finances are always on our mind. We love you, Jesus. You're in charge of my finances. As long as you don't mess them up. And things are going well, and he's meeting my needs until times get tight and squeaky. Then what do I do? Ministry becomes a way to make money instead of trusting on him. Reverted the way that I've always done it. Reverted the way that I've always handled situations. See, when someone is pressed, what's coming out of them? Someone's pressed, how are they going to respond? He's going to be him, or it's going to be going back the way we used to do things. As a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to its folly. And this man's pressured. He doesn't say all this kind of stuff. He doesn't tell you what happened. He doesn't tell you what kind of life. 38 years, you understand. That's over what? 38 years he lived there. He leaves. He's free. Where's he at? Same place. Why'd you live in the temple? Wanted healed. Well, he's healed now. Acceptance. Friends. That's all he knows, man. Some commentators have suggested that he got back on his mat and faked it. No evidence of that in the text, but it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And Jesus looks at him and says, Man, you've been set free. Be free. You know how many Christians I've met who I have personally prayed for who come down to get out of credit card debt? God pulls off a miraculous miracle in their life. Gets them out of debt. Three years later, guess where they're at? We pray to Almighty MasterCard. God met my need. God didn't meet your need. God did not meet your need. Yeah, God moved in my life. Wow. <laughs> no, no, don't think so. It's not how that works. We return to the same deal, same thing, over and over and over again. Uh, I, I live there. And I, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you. It doesn't mean I'm not sanctified. Wow, there's something he's done to me that I haven't done myself. He's moved upon my life. I am absolutely surrendered to his will. Man, I'm open to whatever he wants to do in my life. But I'm going to tell you, when I'm pressed and I'm squeezed, there are temptations to go, Jeremiah, you can handle this. Which is what sin is. Because you can't handle it. You want your sex drive to go out of whack, get a hold of it. Self-control is a byproduct of what? Galatians chapter 5, the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If your sex drives out of control, guess who doesn't have a hold of it? If you're not living in joy, guess who doesn't have a hold of your joy? Doesn't have a hold of your needs in your life. Easy passage to study. Wow, we get out early. Beat the Baptist to lunch. But this is, a, this is an easy, this is an easy passage to understand. I want to ask you this morning. Jesus walks up to this fella, sees him going on in his life, and I really want to read for you, if I could, read with you in Second Peter. Don't don't cop out on this one. What vomit do you return to? You know, I talk with pastors as they counsel certain people and their parishioners. I never know who. I never want to know who because it affects the services, I think. But they counsel them over the same things over and over and over. The woman who gets married four or five times does the same things over and over. 
God releases her from that. Spews all of that out of her life. What happens? Runs right back there to it. Wallows in it. Second uh, Peter, read it. They said Peter was the ignorant fisherman, but First and Second Peter are the most two well-written academic works in the New Testament. First Second Peter is wonderful. In chapter two, of course, he has just got out of the whole idea of the scriptures and and what God is doing and speaking to His people and the calling that we have. You move down, he begins to talk about false teachers. He begins to talk about people who are leading us away from the truth and the people who fall into that. Specifically in verse 10, he says, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the sinful nature and despise authority. They don't fall in line, man. They don't listen. They fall back into, please listen to me, they fall back into the same stuff over and over and over and over again. They get out of financial trouble, they're right back in it, man. I'm not living like that anymore. Hey, I'm not going to have my needs met, my, my, my needs in my life, financial, sexual, uh, emotional, whatever. I'm not, met, I'm, I'm not letting those things be met the way they used to. Why? Because that dream world does not exist. And I refuse to live there. That's not how God intended me to live. That there is something bigger and greater and more special and more precious. I'm not living in vomit anymore. I lived there for, I lived there for years in my life, man. I'm not going down that road anymore. And he goes on, man. He, he elaborates on this. Listen to what he says. And we're not going to read the whole chapter. But look at verse 17. These men, these people are springs without water. Mist driven by a storm. And quick add in here. He pops back and forth from the false teachers to the people that he's influencing. Maybe in his eyes, they're all the same. Finishing. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. Do you realize Paul says, I am free, man? You have been set free. Be free. And he says, I am free. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, and I will be mastered by nothing. Uh, I'm probably one of the most unlegalistic guys you ever meet, but I am not mastered by anything. I have one master. His name is Jesus, period. I will not be mastered. You can be mastered. You can be mastered by finances and still be paying tithe. In other words, you can give 10% and Jesus is not out of control of your finances. You can be a sexual addict and be married and abuse your wife or abuse your husband. You can emotionally abuse people in your family. It goes on and on and on and on and on. See, that's, that's the deal. It's mastered. It's not rules. It's a mastering in your life. Uh, he goes on, picking up in verse 20. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, and are again entangled in it and overcome, uh, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to know it and then turn back, turn their backs on the sacred command that was uh, passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs, the Proverbs are indeed true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. you got to be tired. I, I don't see how young girls live comparing themselves to people on TV. you got to be so tired of that. That, that gets so tiring. 
You, you have to get so tired of the ulcers and the stressed out environment in your home of worrying over finances. Then you've got to be so tired of that. Being a slave to bodily drives. I cannot tell you what it's like to be free. <laughs> That's the best thing in Christianity, man. I'm free. I'm not bound, man. I have temptations like everybody else. But I cannot tell you the freedom of walking in Barnes and Nobles and walking by the magazine racks. You go, wow, I'm free. I can't tell you what that's like. I cannot tell you what it's like to be wrestled free from the addictions of, of alcohol and, and, and tobacco. And I'm not legalistic on that. I don't participate in, 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 in certain things because the Church of the Nazarene says, you know, you don't, don't participate in those things. But I can't, I, those things are a danger to you. They lasso you. They, inst- they instrangle you. I can't tell you what it's like to be free from that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not mastered by anything. Paul says, I beat my body, man. I will not be mastered by my body. I rule my body. Jesus rules me. I don't want to be mastered by anything in my life. What dream world are you living in? I like it better. Let's use, their, let's use their language. What vomit are you continually returning to? Biblical terms. Got to love them. What vomit are you continually returning to? It's what it is, you understand. What vomit is continually nourishing you? What things do you have to get saved from over and over, over again? Every time you come to an altar, it's over one thing. Every time you say, please forgive me, it's over one thing. You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to live like that anymore. Jesus looks at this man and says, you've been set free. Why in the world are you here? Why are you going back? You're going to be worse off, man. Stop sinning or something worse. I'm telling you, it's on the way. You live in that environment. You run back to those kind of things. You'll be worse, man. You'll be worse. You have been set free to be embraced by Jesus. Why in the world would you go back to the things you've been set free from? Why in the world would you flirt with the things of the world that He has set you free? You have been free. I want to pose that question to you this morning because I know each and every one of us struggle. None of, none of you are perfect. All of you have been saved. All of you struggle with something. Everyone in here has a weakness. And it waits crouching at your door, Peter says. It's right there, man. Where are you flirting with that? Where are you wallowing in that? Would you... Would you be willing this morning to say, man, I'm, I want to abandon that? Not uh, stop doing that, but abandon that for the freedom that is only found in Christ. And every time you're tempted to go there, grab him. Every time you're tempted to lasso this, grab him. Every time your finances are about to drive, grab him. And just say, hey, man, I, I'm an evangelist. And I will never, ever put my trust in the church of the Nazarene. No offense. My trust is in him. And I don't have to do this anymore. If he takes away the finances someday and I'm not an evangelist, hey, man, I'll be the best layman you ever had. I'll come and attend church. I'll teach Sunday school class. We'll have to start at 830, though. But I'll start Sunday school. I'll teach Sunday school class, man. I'll be on the church board. I, I, I'm telling you, I'll, I'll study the word. I'll lead discipleship classes. I'll be on the softball team, man. I'll, I'll be assistant to the softball coach. I'll, I, man, I, I, I'll be able to work nine. I'll have, I'll have a life. <laughs> I'll have weekends to spend with family and friends. I'll have friends. I don't have to do this anymore. I'm an evangelist. I always will be. My finances are in his hands. 
If he doesn't want me in this, hey, not a big deal. I refuse to take my finances in my own hands. Would you refuse that this morning? I know what the product of taking my sex drive in my own hands does to me. Would you hand that to Jesus? I know what the product of taking my self-esteem in my own hands feels like. See, I don't get my self-esteem off how you look at me. He thinks I'm hot. (laughs) (laughs) Whether you think so or not, I don't care. I don't care. I get my self-esteem off how he looks at me, not how you look at me. You know the confidence that gives you, man? Wow. You want to live that way? Stop living the way you've always lived. Hand that to Jesus, man. Say, Jesus, train me on this, man. I'm tired of wallowing in the same vomit that I got rid of. I'm, I'm tired of living in the same junk I always lived in. You don't have to live that way. Isn't it good? Father, we love you this morning. I'm tired of living tired of living in the things that you've caused me to spew out of my life. I'm tired of falling in the same junk that I always fall in. I'm tired of having needs met in my life the way that I've always had them. It's, hey, it's not that I'm bad. I trained myself that way. 22 years of my life, I trained myself how to be fulfilled. I trained myself how to, how to be, have acceptance and how to handle anger and how to handle situations in my life. I, I trained myself how to deal with finances. I, I t- what if Christianity is about spending the rest of my existence being untwisted, untrained? Every one of us are born self-centered. The terrible twos hit and we think the world revolves around us. We spend the rest of our life realizing that the world does not revolve around us, it revolves around you. I want to give you the opportunity to untwist me this morning, Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to pull me away. I get so frustrated and I blame things on the enemy when the fact is the greatest enemy in my life is myself. I'm the greatest enemy I have. The devil doesn't make me use my credit card. I do. devil doesn't make me control. It's the way I've always lived, man. Would you come and save us from ourself this morning? Could we abandon ourselves to you? I'm tired of living in vomit. I'm tired of living in the same old, same old. I'm tired of returning back to what I've always known. I want to live running to you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You can be free this morning. And you don't have to live that way. And you can sit there and not respond. And that's fine. In two years or three years, if I ever come back, I'll see you again. You know what? You'll be wrestling with the same things. I'm not living like that. I'm not living like that. He's talking to you this morning. It could be anything from addictions to weight problems. Being so obs- And weight problems is not overweight or underweight. It's obsessed with weight. So whatever masters you, it could be a hobby you have. It could be work. You know how many people are mastered, especially men are mastered by their jobs. You tired of living that, that way? Are you tired of getting your self-esteem off how big your pocketbook is? 
tired of getting your self-esteem on how pretty you are? You've got to be tired of that. You're tired of being overcome with bodily drives, a slave to yourself. You don't have to live like that. I want to offer you the opportunity to respond this morning. I want to offer you the opportunity to step out of vomit, <laughs> to step out of the junk that you've always lived in. I want to offer you the opportunity to wipe your feet and stand before Jesus, grab a hold of Him and, and ask Him to just handcuff you to Him. That every time you have a need, every time you have a fear, every time you have a frustration, grab a hold of Him. Cast all your cares on Him. Cast all your anxiety on Him. He cares for you. His burden's light. He knows what you're going through. He cares about the things that you care about. He longs for the things that are going to make you happy. In fact, He knows, what, he knows what's really going to bring you joy. He knows the way that you need, your needs are to be met. He knows, the, he knows the plans He has for you. He, trust Him, man. Stop missing the mark. Stop taking control. Stop going back to the same stuff you were set free from. Stop living like that. I want to give you the opportunity this morning, and heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around, but I want to give you opportunity to respond this morning. Mind you, no one ever outgrows this. You would not believe how many 60-year-old women that my wife, and have, have, my wife and I have prayed with who have lived with things as Christians for 40 years, 50 years, and never had to. They carry that junk around with them. They were abused by a dad or a father or a husband or a childhood experience. And they've dragged that junk around for 50 years. <laughs> Why? You don't have to live like that, man. You don't have to live like that. Jesus says, I have come that you may be free. There is freedom in Christ. So I want to offer you the opportunity this morning. I want to offer you the greatest opportunity anyone will ever offer you. Come and be free. Come and be unsnared. Run with Jesus. Father, we love you this morning. And that is an understatement. Uh, make us addicted to you. Make us junkies for Jesus. Make us absolutely glued to your face. Replace everything in our life that is fulfilling with you. And we'll give you all the praise.